0: Uh, this morning, we're going to be in the book of Hebrews. If you'd join with me in turning to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Back home, we've been in the book of Hebrews now for about a year. And uh, Lord willing, we'll finish our study of this book next Sunday. But I want to share with you um, from verses 19 through 24 of this 10th chapter and encourage you to think this morning about the fact that the church is not only the result of Christ's saving work, we are the product of His saving work, but we are also an instrument, a means that He uses in His saving work. And when I say that, I'm not just talking about evangelism. I'm also talking about our sanctification, talking about our perseverance. He preserves us, He keeps us, We're also called to persevere, to continue in the faith, and the Lord uses His church, the Lord uses you, your relationships one with another, to help each other persevere in the faith. That's what we're going to think about together this morning. Hebrews chapter 10, we'll begin reading at verse 19. The Word of God says this, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us, How to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And this morning we're going to set our focus especially on verses 24 and 25. Look at that again. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's go to our God together in prayer this morning and ask his blessing on his word. Father in heaven, we love you. It is a joy to be together, and it's needful that we would be together, as these verses remind us. Lord, we need you in this hour. We joyfully confess that we are just dust. We are frail, redeemed vessels that you choose in a way that amazes us, uh, to make use of us for your glory and for the good of your church. And so Lord, we confess that without you, we can do nothing. We ask that this next few moments would be in demonstration of your Spirit's presence and power in our midst, that you would instruct our minds, that you would deal with our hearts that, Lord, You would change our will so that in every part of us, Lord, we would be surrendered to Christ and be ready to do what Your Word teaches us to do. I pray that we would not just be hearers only who are self-deceived, but we would be people who are ready to do what Your Word says. And we ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. If there's one thought I hope you walk away with this morning, it would be this, that perseverance is a community responsibility. Perseverance is a community project. It's true to say that you and I must persevere individually, and in God's providence, sometimes He puts His people in positions where they're forced to do that, to to persevere by themselves. Uh, Maybe someone is imprisoned, locked up in a cell. There's no one there to encourage them in the faith. They're not able to meet with the Lord's people like we are this morning, and so they are, they are um, forced, as it were, to persevere alone. So the Lord certainly is sufficient for that in our lives, but that's not the norm. In fact, what He calls us to is not a life of isolation from one another, but a life of mutual dependence. Dependence in the body of Christ, so that, so that we encourage each other, we exhort each other, and in that way, and we contribute to each other, and in that way, we persevere in the faith. Perseverance is a community project. You'll notice there are three exhortations in this section. In verse 22, we are told to draw near with a, a, a heart, a true heart and full assurance of faith. Draw near to God. That's that exhortation. Verse 23, we're told to hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. And then in verse 24, we're exhorted to consider one another. Draw near, that's Godward. Hold fast your confession, that's a personal responsibility. Exhort one another, consider one another so that we might exhort each other to love and good deeds, that is a responsibility toward each other. That's a community responsibility one goal, perseverance, these three exhortations serving that goal. And so this morning I want us to focus on the third of those exhortations. What does it mean when we're told to consider one another, to consider one another, how we might stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, but encouraging one another, all the more as we see the day drawing near. What is the Lord saying to us in these statements. we look at it under four headings this morning. First of all, a call to have concern for our brethren. A call to have concern for our brethren. Second, the focus of that concern. We're called to be concerned for each other, but in what way are we to be concerned for each other? What's the focus of that concern? Third, we're going to talk about the means to fulfill That concern. So I'm concerned about you, and now I understand what I'm to be concerned about. How do I carry out that concern? How do I practice it? And then, fourth, we're going to talk about the motivation that he gives us in these verses to maintain that concern. There's something we need to keep before our mind's eye, always, before our hearts, so that we'll remain focused in these areas. We begin this morning, first of all, with the call itself. Verse 24. And let us consider. And the focus of that consideration is the reciprocal pronoun there in verse 24 one another. Let us consider how to stir up one another. We think about our brethren, and we're called now to consider each other. Strong word. It's a word that has to do with careful consideration, katanoeo is the word, to give careful consideration. One lexicon has this, to give very careful consideration to some matter, to think about very carefully, to consider closely. So I'm called, you're called today to think about each other, and not to think about each other mildly, but to think about each other seriously to give careful thought, concentrated thought, to the other members of the family of God. Now, right away, the church of our time is confronted by that statement. You know this, we live in an age of consumerism. Our entire culture is a consumer's culture. The result of that is we normally even when we think about other people, we're really thinking about ourselves. That mindset has, has made its way into the life of the church, sadly. And so what happens in many cases is people look for a church and they attend a church basically asking this question, what am I, what is my family going to get out of this? I want to find a community of people where I get what I need, where, where I get what I'm looking for. What do I get out of the preaching? What do I get out of the singing? What do I get out of the programs? What kind of facilities do they have? Uh, What are my children going to get out of this? And so the entire mindset is not really about others. It's about self. And yet what we're being called to in this verse is something entirely different from that. And if that is your mindset, if you have a consumer's mindset, even if you do think about others, you really only think about them to the extent that it's convenient to think about them. I mean, I'll be concerned about you so long as it doesn't cost me too much. I'll be concerned about you as long as it's not inconvenient for me. But if your needs begin to make my life inconvenient, if your needs begin to get in the way of my pleasure then that's where I draw the line. I'll be concerned about you so long as it's not going to cost me too much. Listen, if if that's how you think in reality, you're not really thinking about each other much at all. You're just thinking about yourself. You could not have a mindset more foreign to the New Testament than to have a consumer's mindset. Just listen to these verses and ask yourself if this sounds like a consumer. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 12, 15, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. And then he adds this, If I love you more, am I to be loved less? So there we have him dealing with the Corinthian congregation. It's clear that in some way, they have shut off their love from him. He says, If I love you more... Am I to be loved less? So they're upset with him in some way. They've turned him off in some way. And yet, though he's not getting anything from them, he says, not only am I willing to be spent, spent for your souls, he says, I'll do this gladly. I do it joyfully. It's not a consumer's mindset, is it? He didn't say to himself, now because I'm not getting anything from you, you're not getting anything from me. You shut me out, I'm shutting you out. That wasn't his mindset at all. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 8: Having thus a fond affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. The gospel had taught the apostle to love the people of God, to love the church of God. The result is, he didn't just give them the gospel, he gave them himself. Philippians 2.17 says, But even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. There he pictures himself like an offering being poured out on a sacrifice. And the sacrifice is their spiritual well-being. It's their faith. And he says as he sees himself being poured out in the interest of their faith, it's a cause for His joy. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 10 says this, For this reason, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, and with it eternal glory. It's an amazing statement. Paul was saying, I don't just love the church as it already exists. I love the church as it's being formed. He says, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus. He's loving the church in advance. He's willing to have his life poured out in the interest of seeing others come to faith in Christ. Becoming members of the family of God. Becoming his brothers and sisters. None of this is a consumer's mindset. None of this is asking, what can I extract from the church? You see, it's about investment. It's not about extraction. So, I'll just stop and ask you this morning, is that your mindset when you think about this church? When you think about your brethren? First of all, I would ask, have you given much thought to your brothers and sisters this week? Could it be said of you that you carefully consider your brethren And then as you do consider them, are you thinking like a consumer, what can you get out of this Sunday, or are you thinking in terms of someone who's investing in the lives of others, the faith of others? Think about it, every New Testament analogy that's used to teach us about the church, it all involves great love and loyalty. Uh, The church is the bride of Christ. Christ the bridegroom, we're the bride… And so there we are a people who are loved by the chief shepherd, and that love is the standard for our love toward each other. The church is compared to a family. And if you think about, is there any place in the world where you ought to meet with loyal love? It ought to be the, the family, husbands and wives and siblings loving each other loyally. The church is a flock. And we have a chief shepherd who, though he has 99 in the fold, if he has one that wanders away, he'll leave the 99 to go find the one. That's the kind of example that's set before us in terms of how we're to love each other. The church is a body. If one member suffers, the whole body suffers with it. If one member rejoices, the whole body rejoices with it. We are mutually dependent upon one another. we, We need each other in order to function in this world. The church is at times compared to soldiering. and If you think about a place where there's loyal love, it's the armed forces. You don't leave somebody behind. No one's left behind. That ought to be the mindset in the life of the local church. The church is compared to a building, a living temple. And so stone by stone we're joined together as the Lord builds up His church. Every analogy used teaches us not only of our mutual dependency but of loyal love. So this is the call. We are called in verse 24 to consider one another. Second thing, now notice with me the focus of this concern. So you ought to be giving thought to each other during the week and in your lives, well, what what kind of concern is it that you have for each other? And, and really the entire section informs this. This third exhortation flows out of the Other two. It flows out of it theologically, it flows out of it practically. In fact, these three exhortations require each other. So you've been called, back up in verse 22, to draw near to God. Christ's finished work has opened the way for us to have fellowship with our Creator. Now, having been saved and having this fellowship, we are to draw near to God. But you see, I'm not just concerned that I draw near to God. I'm to be concerned that you draw near to God. And in verse 23, I am exhorted to hold fast the confession of my faith, to be stable, to be solid in terms of the things I've been taught and I've learned and the things that I believe. I'm not to be moved away from those things. Hold fast my confession. But, but look, I can't just be concerned that I hold fast my confession I'm to be concerned that you hold fast your confession, that you're spiritually strong, that you're spiritually stable, that you're not being moved away in terms of the things that you're believing. And dear ones, you know this. I mean, we are being bombarded every day with thoughts that do not agree with Scripture. We've all witnessed the tragedy of the last week and how our nation is on fire, so to speak, at war. And even with some very famous evangelicals, if you pay attention to your Twitter feed, if you're on Twitter, or you pay attention to other means of social media, the messages coming out are simply parroting the viewpoint of a lost and dying world. Our, our thoughts are to be guarded, guided, solidified by Scripture are we thinking in truthful terms? And the Word of God is truth. You want to know what's true? The Word of God. Jesus prays for our sanctification in John 17. Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your Word is truth. And so I'm I'm going to be concerned that I hold fast to my confession, but also that you hold fast to yours. So this is the, the context for the kind of consideration he's calling for in verse 24. It is salvation concern. It is salvation concern. I'm to give thought to your salvation. Whether or not you know Jesus Christ, yes, but then beyond that, are you growing in the faith? Are you continuing in the faith? Are you stable in the faith? Are you you being sanctified? This is the focus of my concern. And so I just wonder, how much thought do you give to the to this body of believers in terms of how people are doing spiritually. Do you ever look around at who's here and who's not here? And do you pay attention to how a person is doing? The person in your circle of influence, I know as our churches grow, our circle of influence sometimes it's, it's smaller than the entire church, but in your circle of influence, are you paying attention to how your brethren are doing spiritually? And notice this is not a mild thing. That we're to be giving thought to. When he says in verse 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another. That, that, the word translated stir up there in the ESV, it is a very strong word. It's used in Acts 15.39 to describe the disagreement between Paul and Barnabas when they went their separate ways. So there it's translated in terms of a dispute A sharp disagreement, a sharp dispute. So this is a a strong word. In In the negative, it would speak of a dispute. In the positive, what it would say is this. We're to provoke each other. And we're to think about ways. We're to be thinking about ways to just not mildly encourage each other, but to actually provoke each other to love and to good works. There's the focus. How can I stir you up to pursue love? How can I stir you up to pursue good deeds? And you'll notice that the, the exhortations in this section, they all involve love and good deeds. You draw near to God as you love the Lord, but drawing near to God is not just a matter of attitude and words. Drawing near to God has to do with obeying Him, good deeds, when you think about holding on to the truth, that's not a loveless thing. We hold on to the truth, our confession, as we love God. We hold on to our confession as we love the truth. We hold fast our confession as we love others. And so that involves practice, doesn't it? I don't just hold fast my confession in words and thoughts, I hold fast to the truth in terms of where my feet go, where my life is traveling. And so, this entire section is, is teaching us we've got to think about each other, and we've got to think about each other in the realm of salvation, which means I'm giving thought to how I can stir you up, provoke you to pursue the Lord with your whole heart. Now, can I say, this also is going to involve something else. You know, We think about consumerism, where there's consumerism, there's also isolationism So I'm not coming to invest, I'm coming to extract. That's consumerism. What that means is, is I don't really want anyone getting me outside of my comfort zone. So so here's the question Is it okay for other members of this body to be concerned about you this way? Is it all right for your brethren to stir you up to love and good deeds? What if this? What if it's not just going to mean that they encourage you? What if it's going to mean that they correct you? Is it all right for someone to ask how you're doing spiritually? Is it all right if there are reasons to be concerned for them to come to you and lovingly, right, in a way that honors Christ, in a way that reflects the Spirit's work, to confront you about your sin? Sometimes the attitude people have is this. Look, it's okay for you to be concerned about me, but don't correct me. You can be concerned about me as long as you think I'm doing well, but don't be concerned about me if you don't think I'm doing well. So sort of a one-way kind of concern. It's just praise. It's just affirmation. But there's no room for correction. And I say to you this morning, that is not a New Testament relationship between believers. We're not only called to confess our sins to each other, we're called to confront sin as we see it in each other, because we love each other. And we know what sin does. It destroys. How can I say I love you and watch your life being destroyed by your own disobedience and say nothing about it? That's not love. So the call is to consider each other. The focus of the consideration is salvation. Salvation. Third thought, the means to fulfill that concern. So, I think about you, and I think about your salvation, and I think about how you're doing spiritually. Now, now, how can I practically demonstrate this concern? He tells us two ways. One is negative, the other is positive. Verse 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Here's the negative, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. If you want to walk in these verses, stop neglecting the public gatherings. When the church meets together, make sure that you're present. Episunagoge is the word for gathering in verse 25, or the, the meeting together, you can hear in that word synagogue. It's worship gatherings. The Christian gatherings for the purpose of public worship. That's what he's talking about. This is not a reference to meeting at Starbucks. This is not a reference to having somebody in your home. This is not a reference to going out to dinner, though, though those things are good and can, can contribute to what we're talking about this morning. But what he has specifically in mind are the public Worship gatherings of the church. And he says, do not neglect them. Now, some people want to say, well, what he has in mind here is really just apostasy. What he's saying is is don't walk away, excuse me, don't walk away from the church. Well, that's not what he's saying. I'll tell you how I know that, because there's an inconvenient word. For some who want to take that position, it's the word ethos. It's translated in the ESV there habit, as is the habit of some. Okay, apostasy is not a habit, apostasy is a decisive choice. I choose to abandon Christ, I choose to abandon the gospel, I choose to walk away from the church. That's apostasy. He's not talking about apostasy in verse 25, though it has to do with apostasy. He's talking about a habit. So what's going on right here as he writes this letter is some are beginning to disappear from the public gatherings. The church is meeting together, and and you're not showing up. And it's becoming a habit. It's becoming a pattern. He says, don't do that. Now, I said this does have to do with apostasy. You say, in what way? Well, listen. This is where spiritual drifting often begins to manifest itself. A person begins to drift in terms of drawing near to God. Where does it show up? All of a sudden, we don't see them around the church. A person begins to drift in terms of what they say they believe. Where does it show up? All of a sudden, we don't see them around the church. And a person begins to opt out of their mutual responsibilities in the body of Christ. Where does it show up? It shows up because they don't show up when we meet together as a church. And I'm not just to be concerned that I'm present. Keeping the whole section in mind, I ought to be concerned whether or not you're present. Is there anybody you know and love in this church that it's becoming their pattern, it's becoming their habit to be absent when the church gathers? Do you know this is the way, this is a means that God uses for our spiritual perseverance? It is the public worship gatherings of God's people. How do I show this concern for you? I show it in the realm of public worship. But now notice the positive part of that. As we gather together, what are we gathering for? Not consumers, not just to extract, not just to receive. But verse 25, we're to be encouraging one another. Encouraging one another. Exhorting. Each other. Be honest with yourself for just a moment. When you thought about this Sunday, when you were getting ready for church, when you were preparing during the week, you got dressed, you got in your car, about to show up, did you give any thought to encouraging someone in this body today in their walk with Jesus Christ? You don't just come to hear a sermon, you don't just come to sing songs. You don't just come to give your gifts. The Lord calls us together that we might be divinely used instruments in the perseverance of our brothers and sisters, to encourage them to continue with Jesus, to continue in the faith, to walk in the Word of God. This is the way we express this concern we gather together and we gather together to encourage each other finally last thing this morning notice the motivation that maintains this concern keeps our vision clear keeps our vision focused keeps our hearts warm we sang this morning about confessing you know cold hearts and we get those sometimes but here's how we guard against that. Into verse 25, and he says, "Do this all the more, as you see the day drawing near." What day does he have in mind? Well, it's the day of the Lord. He's speaking in general terms. He's not. He's not breaking out here. You know, an eschatological map that tells us all that. that we believe about the end times. That's not what he's doing. He's he's gathering it all up in a general way and saying, listen, the end is coming. The day when God's promises, all of them are going to be fulfilled in our experience. The day when the opportunities we have right now are going to be over. I've heard John MacArthur say before, and I Resonates with me. You know, there's nothing we do right now on earth that we won't do better in heaven, except evangelism. Our fellowship will be perfect in heaven. Our our worship of our King face to face is going to be unsurpassed. But right now, we have an opportunity to lead people to faith in Jesus Christ. Well, that day's the, the day when that opportunity is done is drawing near. But also, not just God's promises fulfilled and evangelism over, the day that's coming is going to be a day of accountability. Where lost humanity will stand before the judge and saved humanity will stand before a different kind of judgment, but nonetheless, it will be a serious one. One where we meet with reward. Based upon what we've done with the gifts the Lord has given us and the opportunities He has put before us. In other words, dear ones, listen, this is not a time to be asleep. This is a time to be awake. So that when we gather together, we are gathering together to call each other to alertness. Stay awake. Jesus is on His way. He stands at the door. We don't know when He's coming. Literally, it could be today. Do you still believe that? I mean, I know we believe it Confessionally, I know we believe it intellectually. I just wonder if that belief is having any real influence on our lives, the truth, that this could be the day. And so we gather together to say to each other, this could be the day. The day is drawing near. This is not a perfect analogy. Maybe it's even a silly one, but maybe it'll help somebody. Imagine that you're sitting in a room with Four other people, five of you in this room. And in this room, there are cameras monitoring your activity. And someone walks into the room and he says, Listen, here's the deal. I'm going to go away for a while, and um, I want you all to stay awake. If any one of you sleeps, uh, it's going to, to break the agreement that I'm making with you. And here's the agreement if you all stay awake until I return, I'm going to give each of you a million dollars. Now stay awake. And he walks out of the room. And you begin to watch the clock, and an hour goes by, and three hours go by, and five hours go by, and eight hours go by. Now add to this the thought that the person who made this agreement with you loves you always has a good purpose for anything He tells you to do. So you may not even understand why this agreement exists, but He's told you, and you know you can trust Him, and you know He always keeps His Word. And you look across the room, and you see someone about to nod off. What do you do? You say, stay awake. Stay awake, because look, I know it's been eight hours, but what that means is the time of his return is nearer than it was eight hours ago and we know he's coming stay awake it's interesting isn't it in verse 25 all the more as you see the day drawing near stay awake and he and it's we're nearer today to his return than we've ever been I don't know when he's coming but I know he loves us I know he's absolutely trustworthy I know he has a good reason for anything that he does which includes what seems like to this lost and dying world a delay and so I say to you as I say to myself we brethren we must stay awake the Lord has called us to consider each other the focus of the consideration is salvation the means to fulfill it is to gather together For encouragement, stirring each other up, agitating in a positive sense, each other to love and good deeds. And what motivates us is that Jesus is really coming again so that we don't let off the pedal because it's been some time. We stir each other up all the more as we see the day drawing near. Will you embrace this this morning? Will you take this into your heart? Are you going to be just a hearer of the word of God? Or are you going to be a doer? And I trust you'll be a doer.